Amen. Aren't you happy that we know a God that says, come just as you are? Come just as you are. Come to the table. We can have that kind of fellowship with Him. Come to the table. We can dine with Him. I'm so happy for this gospel of grace. It really quickens the scriptures that they were singing about there in Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the message translation, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Get away with me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Work with me. Walk with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Folks, it takes away our fight. It takes away our struggles in many ways. It takes away our hopelessness, this gospel of grace. It's so important. It's more than just a doctrine. It's more than just a movement. It's what the Father has purposed and designed and destined and wanted forever. It just took man a long time to find it because mixture got in the way. Old covenant got in the way. And it just morphed right into our reality. But the truth of the matter is we have this relationship with Him where He says, come just as you are. I know you fell down on the way to church. I know you stumbled last week. Come just as you are. That's what it means to come to the table. It's not a place to come and just be sorry for our sins. He's taken away our sins. Our sins are not remembered by the Father. You know, sins are wrongs. And the Scriptures say that love keeps no record of wrongs. God keeps no record of our wrongs. They're forgiven, past, present, and future. We can come to the table. In fact, David, even under an old covenant, would be so bold as to write that he sets a table. He prepares a table in the presence of his enemies. Friends, any, an enemy is anything that distracts you from God in this finished work. That's just an enemy. And there are many enemies of the cross. But when you see this gospel of grace, and as it begins to take residence in your heart, you just cannot unsee it. You feel like you don't fit in anywhere you go sometimes, but I'm telling you, you do. You are married to the Lamb, and He loves you. And Father, we thank You for the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, broken for us, poured out for us, so that we might live. It's bigger than just being able to face tomorrow. Your blood is so sufficient that we find it more than enough in every situation we face in life. If we would just look to the cross, if we would just look to the blood of Christ in every dilemma, every awkward place we find ourselves in, and just put ourselves in remembrance that your blood was sufficient, your broken body was sufficient. So Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a couple of minutes, we're going to receive those elements that are being passed out now. I want you to think for a moment, what is the purpose 
of communion. I think we're probably all on the same page. I mean, we'd all come up with an answer. I think that is fairly similar, but uh, so many people don't really understand what communion is about. Communion is a celebration, friends. It's not some somber moment. And I know we made it that way in the church growing up, that it was some somber moment to reflect back on the things you had done and get your heart right with God. Let me tell you something. Your heart's already right with God. If you're a believer in Christ, He's already made you right. You are as right as you'll ever be. So communion is a time of jubilee. It's a time of celebration. What do we celebrate? We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the gospel of grace. We celebrate the new covenant. We celebrate our freedom in Christ. We celebrate the wonderful truth that Jesus was broken for us so that we could be fixed by Him. Fixed not by just making us better, but fixed by making us perfect. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those that are being made holy. So we are perfect in Christ. It's hard to understand that. I know, I get it. Because all the training over the years told us we were failures. In our mind, it kept whispering, you're a failure. You don't measure up. And so we have a lifetime of programming, and we've heard it from the pulpit as well. We celebrate the reality that through Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, he has made us holy. The scriptures tell us that in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. And he has made us perfect by grace through faith. It's a decision that we make to enter in by placing our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. We can put our trust in nothing else Nothing more and nothing less. There is nothing greater than Christ's shed blood. Communion is a, it's a reminder that we have fellowship with Him. We fellowship with the King of Light. We fellowship with the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. We celebrate that we are no longer sick in our spirit, man. He has been made gloriously perfect. Through communion, we celebrate Jesus. Come on. We celebrate Jesus is who we celebrate. This is about Him. This is not about you. The Scriptures say, in, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of Him. Not of you. Not of sin. Do this in remembrance of Him. In John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, we find these words. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. I would give anything to see that. If there were a way to be able to pull back the shade, the curtain, if you will, and to look in on that vignette, I can't even imagine what that would do to my heart. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, come on, this is what Jesus said now. He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. He's always up to something, isn't he? He's always up to something. I want you to remember that the next time you face chaos, the next time you face cataclysmic darkness, the next time you have to stare into the eyes of fear, I want you to remember this, that God is always up to something. He has a way of bringing beauty from ashes. He has a way of bringing sunshine from the darkest prison cells of a man's life. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Judea is where the word praise comes up out of. Let us go back to praise. I want you to know something. When I face situations in life that begin to make me grow a little weary, get a little tired, get a little worn out, a little ragged around the edges. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You live in the same world I live in. When I face situations like that, I put myself in remembrance that God's always up to something. My daddy's always up to something. And I can praise him in the midst of the darkest days. And you know what it does? It seems to lift you. It seems to lift you from the mire and the muck and the old clay that you, you seem stuck in. Don't ever forget that. Let us go back to Judea. Let's go back to praise. As I was looking at those first seven verses this morning in the very quiet hours, I noticed that the word sick was mentioned five times. Therefore, John is doing a fantastic job at driving home the reality that Lazarus was sick. <laughs> he is just writing it over and over. The guy is sick. He's got a sickness. He's sick. The one you love is sick. He's sick. This dude is sick. I'm telling you, this man was sick. <laughs> so John is doing a great job just driving home this point. You Know that this man is sick, and we want to remind you, Jesus, that you love him. Lazarus represents you and me in the sense that at one time we too were sick. We were dead in our spirit, and we were powerless to save ourselves. You couldn't save a flea, friend. We were powerless to save ourselves. Behind our English word sick is the Greek word asthenejo. Sounds kind of Spanish, doesn't it? Asthenejo. Asthenejo translates as 
powerless. So when they said Lazarus was sick, they said, hey, <laughs> Lazarus doesn't have any power. Lazarus is powerless. Lazarus was powerless to save himself. Come on. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Lazarus was powerless to heal himself. Lazarus was powerless to fix that which was broken in his body. Lazarus was powerless to remove the condemnation that his body was experiencing in that moment. Whatever was going on, Lazarus was powerless. You see, when they told the runners to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, if we just think about that in our English language, we don't pick up on it like the message that they wanted Jesus to know about. They said, Jesus, Lazarus, is powerless. He has no power. Now, friends, you just get the breath knocked out of you one time. Get the wind knocked out of you one time. You ever had that happen in life? Everybody, pretty much. I fell out of a tree one time when I was a kid and landed right on my chest and I thought I was going to die. I ran around in place for about 45 seconds till I could catch my breath. I was powerless. But I know what powerless feels like. I know what it feels like. And Lazarus was powerless. When believers try to live under the law, they become sick in their souls. And they become sick in their bodies. Why? Because the law has no power to cleanse. The law has no power to heal. The law has no power to forgive. The law has no power to make holy. The law has no power to make righteous. The law has no power to take away condemnation. You want me to show you that? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Take a look at these words. Therefore, <laughs> there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And amen fits perfectly right there. Yeah, it does, man. There is therefore now no condemnation. Remember that word no comes from dice. It means not even one. There is not even one condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Think about that as you take communion this morning. There's no condemnation for you. So you can take it. You came into church today thinking, oh, I haven't been on my best behavior. Take it. No condemnation. Do you belong to him? Take it. No condemnation for those. Not even one for those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, come on, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, come on, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak. Would you like to know something? That word weak is the same word that they said about Lazarus when they said Lazarus is sick. It's the same Greek word, astaneho. The law was powerless.
powerless. It was not just not strong enough, no, powerless. It fell out of a tree on its chest, no power. You see that? I'm not making this stuff up. The law was powerless. See, this is so important because this is what keeps people from taking communion. The ones that don't take it is because they're under this mindset that they're going to be punished by God, that they're not deserving to take it. I'm telling you, the law was powerless. You're listening to the law. That's all. I'm sorry, I get passionate about this. You know why? Because people struggle. I was telling Valerie on the way to church this morning as we were talking, I said, you know, when two people, a husband and wife, have the finished work of grace message really procuring in their hearts, I mean, when they really get it down, I said, you know, I can't find one example of divorce. You see, it doesn't mean you're always going to agree about every little thing. But love becomes the undercurrent in that marriage, in that relationship. Bear that in mind. It says the law was weak through the flesh. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't live according to the law. We don't live according to the flesh. We don't live according to man-made traditions. We live according to the Spirit who's always right, who's always up to something. Amen? You say, Pastor Mark, doesn't the Scriptures tell us that the law is perfect and good and holy and righteous? Doesn't it tell us that? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that it's perfect for us. You see, ocean water is perfect for the fish that live in it, but it's not perfect for us. You see that? Nothing wrong with the water, but we weren't made for it. And the law was not made for the righteous, the Scriptures tell us. Beautiful. Lazarus was sick. And Lazarus died. But Jesus would come along and put his life back together. That's because he is the resurrection and the life. In communion, we celebrate the hope that Jesus, come on, Jesus is our resurrection and life. Through the cross, he called us forth from the grave. Through the gospel of grace, he removes the grave clothes of condemnation. And through communion, he reminds us that through believing in him, we will never die again. My final scriptures. John chapter 11, verses 17 through 25. This is later in that narrative after Jesus walks back. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. 
Why? Doesn't say. Maybe she was a little offended that Jesus didn't rush to her brother's sick bedside. I don't know. Could have been. She had the opportunity too, but she purposely stayed at home. She figured there was no further hope. Now, if there's anybody that's expecting God to come to the rescue, be Mary. Remember, she just poured that expensive perfume on him. It'd be her. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I love those words. Your brother will rise again. As you take communion this morning, I want you to remember that you will rise from whatever situation you're in. And you can pray and declare it over your friends and family and relatives, whatever it may be. They will rise again from their situation. Martha answered. Now, you can't even say Martha's words without getting into Martha's character, can you? I, you it's just, I try to, but it just came to me there again. I know. I mean, you just hear it, don't you? I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I, I, I got that part, Jesus. You told us that before. Cut you right off. I know. Jesus said to her, oh, I love these. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, that's what we're doing when we take communion. We're believing what Jesus said. We may die physical deaths. But once we've died in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We will never die again. We die once with Christ. He shed his blood one time for us. In the receiving of communion, we are declaring that we believe that what Jesus said is powerful enough to save us, to heal us. Unlike Lazarus who was powerless, Jesus is all power. In the receiving of communion, we put ourselves in remembrance that Jesus has removed our sickness, our separation, our stench and he has removed our sentence of death come on father we hold up the bread right now that represents the body of jesus christ and we thank you father that you're the resurrection and the life we thank you that we get to partake of this what a privilege what an honor what an honor and Jesus said, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. And that's where we put our thoughts this morning, in remembrance of Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, powerless made strong in the Savior's love. 
And even though we face storms of life, we thank you, Father, there's another side. We can cross to the other side by putting ourselves in remembrance that you're up to something, Daddy. You're always up to something. Thank you, Father, for the body of Jesus Christ. We receive it with grace. You may partake. Thank you, Father. Didn't that taste awesome? Amen. Amen. Father, we lift up the cup. We thank you for the cup. When I look into the cup, I'm put in remembrance of the shed blood of Jesus. A blood that everyone in here said yes to. And is for that reason right there. It's for that shed blood of Christ that I put all my hope. I'm powerless without this blood. And just by putting myself in remembrance of the goodness of God, and the grace of God in your love for me, Father, all I'm doing right now is just celebrating what you've already done you don't need to do any more. You've already done it all. All I'm doing is reflecting back that my sin has been taken away. My sentence has been taken away. My stench has been taken away. My separation has been taken away. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And I lift that cup up today and I celebrate in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.